0: Welcome to the SCA Lectures Podcast Series, brought to you by OLAM Specialty Coffee, connecting roasters to the finest specialty green coffees. The following is a talk presented live at the 2017 Global Specialty Coffee Expo, the largest annual gathering of specialty coffee professionals. Oh Hey, good morning. My name is John Ferguson, and today we are here to talk about coffee agroforestry systems and uh, coffee growth, quality, and marketplace. Thank you for uh, coming today. So today, Coffee Agroforestry Systems. Uh, we have a panel of uh, discussion here today. It's going to be conversational-based. It's not going to be too scientific, but um, it's going to be based on research that um, is scientific. So, and today we have um, four presenters uh, from all over the world, including Lincoln, Nebraska, which is where I'm from, And currently, right now, I hold a position at the Arbor Day Foundation as a coffee quality specialist. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also a graduate student at the University of Nebraska in anthropology, focusing on or interest with uh, social, economic, and environmental factors that influence the adoption of agroforestry management practices, uh, specifically in coffee growing regions. Um, I've also traveled extensively as a coffee buyer, (laughs) cup of excellence, jury member, and also a, a Q grader. So I would say that coffee is definitely a passion of mine. Also today, we have visiting Andre. I'm an assistant professor at the University
1: of Puerto Rico, specialties in agroforestry systems. Right here.
2: And My name is Mauricio Rodesno. I'm a third-generation coffee producer and secretary of the board of Café Marquense, a producer's association in Western Honduras.
3: Hi, my name is Ileana Delgado, and uh, I've been working with my father for the last seven years in coffee farming in the northern part of Colombia.
4: My name is Ryan Hatt. I'm with the Arbor Day Foundation, and I am the uh, coffee service and operations manager there.
0: And today we're going to be addressing four different areas. First, we're going to be uh, defining what agroforestry is, uh, Andre us. Uh, lead us through that discussion. We'll be talking a little bit about the trade-offs in the marketplace involved, the economics behind agroforestry in, in coffee landscapes, and then the certification, sustainability aspects from Ileana. Um Her father's farm is a uh, bird-friendly rainforest alliance, I believe, also. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, I mean, the list is long, yes. and it's a beautiful farm. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that, and then um, Ryan will be talking about uh, the nonprofit environmental aspect to um, h- how we can participate in. Uh, Agroforestry. So the the objectives today, again, to understand the basic concepts of agroforestry, uh, implementing agroforestry management practices, and interconnecting researchers, producers, and coffee buyers to strengthen marketplace for the ecologically sound coffee production practices. This is concerning because um, if you have not heard yet, there's a great research article by Bunn et al. 2015 by Klein and Harper, um, and it's in the reference section online if you want to check out this PowerPoint. But uh, last year at the symposium and at the lecture series, that by the year 2050, suitable land available for coffee production will probably decrease by 50%, with the consumption rates will have doubled at the same time. There are emerging markets where uh, coffee is increasingly in demand, which is good for business, but yet maybe a little bit more of a struggle for the environment. The future areas available or suitable for coffee production are currently covered by natural forest ecosystems, which are at risk for deforestation. So as the climate changes, so does the landscape, and the landscape now where the coffee is being grown will increase in elevation. And a lot of those areas are still covered with forest. So I don't want to do a doomsday sort of scenario today. I think that we've all heard enough about the issues... What I would like to talk about are some solutions, possible solutions. So talking about the problems of the world without talking about accessible solutions is the way to paralysis rather than progress. This is a, uh, a great book. Uh, it's called Poor Economics. I think you might be able to find it uh, nearby, but it's something to, to look into. Also, trees are cool, <laughs> that, that's just plain and simple not only because they they provide so many different types of ecosystem services. Um, I think Andre will go into into that a little bit more in depth. And so Andre, I'll uh, leave it to you. you. Thanks. So let's talk a little bit about agroforestry. So what is
1: agroforestry? Agroforestry is a form of multiple cropping that has to meet these three criterias. First of all, it has to have two plant species that interact biologically. So we can think of these interactions above ground interactions, like shade and uh, things that occur above the ground, and we need to think about under the ground interactions, interactions between the roots, interactions with the water and the quality of the soil. So the plants need to interact biologically. The second is that the plant, one of these plants has to be a woody perennial. In the terms of coffee agroforestry systems, well, both are woody perennials because the coffee is a tree plus the the shade trees that we utilize in the systems. And also, one of the plants has to be managed, either for forage or for production of food or goods that we obtain from them. In terms of coffee agroforestry system, while we harvest the coffee beans, which is the product, we can harvest many more products from those systems that are available from those um, other trees that we use. So when we compare sun-grown versus agroforestry, coffee production systems, we have, there's a huge variance between them in, different, in terms of external inputs, for example. The sun-grown coffee systems utilize a lot of external inputs. We're talking about fertilizers, pesticides, everything you have to bring from outside the system into the system to make it work. In terms of the coffee agroforestry systems, well, we have a low usage of external inputs, and there's some examples of systems where there's no external inputs. It's a closed system with nutrient cycles, of course, within the agroforestry systems, and we don't have to bring anything from outside. It makes it more sustainable. In terms of short-term yields, uh, research has shown that sun-grown coffee, we have a higher year yields on a yearly basis, for example. But in the long term, you have greater yields in an agroforestry system because your system lasts longer, your trees last longer, and you get many more products from that system. In terms of ecosystem services, which we'll be talking a little bit about it later, but in sun grown coffee systems, we don't have ecosystem services. Um, sometimes we call them ecosystem deservices. So there's damage to the ecosystem by that particular practice. In comparison with agroforestry systems, where we have a lot of ecosystem services that are provided by those systems. And the last but not least, the diversification. Um, sun grown coffee it's just a monocropping, we will have no diversification. So it's a really vulnerable system, there's no resilience in it. When we compare it to our forestry systems, there's a lot of diversification, and there's a lot of resilience in that system, uh, ecologically and economically. So we have diversified crops we rely on, so producers have income from different crops, and also ecologically they provide different services that are good for us and good for biodiversity conservation. So there's a gradient when we're talking about coffee agroforestry systems, and you can see here in this figure. At the bottom, we have a shaded monoculture, which is only the coffee trees and nothing else. Um, then, if we go a step ahead, we have a shaded monoculture, which we have coffee and we have just a single shade tree within the system. So we have two, only two species in that agroforestry system. Then, when we look at a commercial polyculture system. So we start to increase our diversity in terms of the trees that we use for shade. Um, We can use trees and we can use palms. We consider them the same in agroforestry systems. So this is a more complex system that gives us a lot more products, but it's a little bit more complex to manage. You need to have knowledge of each of those species that you have in your system to be able to manage them properly. Then we have a traditional polyculture system which you can see it has more trees and it starts to have more vertical structure. So we, have to, we start to have many different stratas within the agroforestry system that is more similar to a forest. So the conservation value of the systems are higher, but you might have lower production and it's more complex to manage for big producing farmers. And then we have the rustic systems, which is the most similar to forest, the one that gives us the most uh, ecological benefits And a lot of the times, this is that we go into the forest and we plant coffee underneath the forest. So the forest is already there. We went to the forest. We put our trees in there. We might cut some trees to allow for more light in the system. We're basically planting coffee within a forest. It can be a mature forest or it can be a secondary forest. So ecosystem services, (coughs) it's being a theme that we're talking more and more about it every day. And ecosystem services are what are the services from the ecosystems that benefit us as human beings. So it's really an anthropogenic view of what benefits we get from the ecosystems to us and our societies. And it's divided in these four main categories. Um, the first of all, are it's provision. So the systems provide service and that services that provide things to us. In terms of coffee agroforestry systems, they produce food, they produce beans, coffee beans, and they produce other fruits and other things within the coffee system that we can utilize. It also helps us to produce water, um, controlling precipitation regimes, increasing the water retention in the soil, it has different benefits that provides us with stuff. The other big category is regulating. So these systems regulate processes, ecological processes within the landscape. In terms of agroforestry systems, especially coffee agroforestry systems, they'll help us control the climate. And they help us control the macroclimate, the climate of the world, the climate of the region. And they also help us to control the microclimate underneath that canopy. So it's usually cooler underneath the, the shade trees. Um, we have better water usage re- regime, less evo- evaporation, and things like that. The other big category is supporting. So, this um, ecosystem services support other services that we rely on. For example, nutrient cycles in the coffee agroforestry systems, they enhance the nutrient cycling so the, the coffee get more nutrients from the soil that they are planted instead of us putting external inputs into the system. And also crop pollination, which is a big theme right now, not only for coffee, we have a, we're calling it a, a pollination problem across all agricultural industries. So coffee agroforestry systems allow us to provide the resources for those pollinators. Uh, If we think about it, coffee flowers um, in a particular time of the year, and at that particular time we have the resources for the pollinator communities to have a healthy pollinator community, but then the flowers drop off and we start getting the beans, so there's no more resource from coffee for that pollinator community. But in the agroforestry systems, you will have other species that are flowering in other times, so that community can get their benefits and stay there, and they're ready to pollinate when you get flowers again. If we don't have that, what we've seen, we've been changing the landscape That's such to a level that we lose those pollinator communities and then we have the coffee flowers but we have no coffee beans because no one came and gave us that service. And the last but not least is the cultural service. Um, this we're talking about spiritual. Now, There's a lot of religions that have a connection with the forest, with the trees, so it provides us a service in that uh, manner. Also provides labor for the community that helps keep vibrant economic growth within the community and also serves as recreational purposes. Uh, we might all heard about agro-tourism and uh, different forms that we can use coffee, our forestry systems to bring tourists in to do bird watching, to do canopy hiking and stuff and services that we receive from those. So in this figure we have a nested figure here and we have different scales at which these ecosystem services are provided and we're also highlighting, well, who are the main actors that are interested in this service at that particular scale? We see at the local scale, we have the farmers and the laborers, and we have the farming cooperatives, the ones that are really managing the land. And they're interested in pollination, pest control, nitrogen fixing, erosion control, alternative commodities, and wood products. So these are the things that are working for, this is the economy that they are based on and their livelihood is based on. So at at this particular scale, we think that the incentives for farmers to adopt this kind of technology is to give them the education and provide them the resources to really be able to incorporate agroforestry systems. The next scale, we have the national and regional scale. Um, Here, the big actors are the state and national governments, uh, the universities, the cooperatives, and the NGOs. And they're mostly interested in erosion control, water storage, and water flows, and also resilience to climate change. How can we make the systems able to allow perturbation and not shift to a different state? Like John was saying earlier, how can we keep producing coffee in these regions with an increase in temperature and changes in water availability, etc.? And then the biggest scale is the global scale. And here we have trade organizations, we have carbon trade organizations, we have the private certifiers, we have government certifiers, the roasters, the distributors, and the consumers. And here we're mostly interested in carbon sequestration, water storage and water flows, and also resilience to climate change. So climate change, we hear about, a lot about climate change, but really what, what does climate change mean for the agricultural sector, and particularly for the coffee growing sector. So we're gonna have a temperature increase. It Doesn't matter where we're gonna be in the world, we're gonna have a temperature increase between one and three degrees Celsius, and that's enough to intervene with the physiology of coffee. So agroforestry systems help mitigate this by controlling that microclimate, as I said before. You have that canopy that really gives you shade, and we've all been underneath a shade in a sunny day, and you're cooler underneath that shade than if you're standing in the sun. So that microclimate control helps us deal with this temperature increase. Also, we expect to have shift in precipitation patterns. We're going to have... Longer, wetter seasons, we're going to have the drier and, and more drought seasons across the year. So agroforestry systems help us mitigate this by controlling that microclimate, allowing for that water uh, to stay in the system. The trees help us um, increase the water retention capacity of the soil, but it also help us increase the drainage of the soil. So it will help us in the dry season and it will help us in the, in the wet season just of having that interaction biologically within the shade and the, and the coffee trees. And we also expect a lot more extreme weather events. Here we're talking about hurricanes and storms and colds. And agroforestry systems help us buffer those um, extreme weather events in our production system. The trees help us mitigate um, against floods. They help us mitigate against drought. And they also protect our systems from high winds, Um, There's a lot of evidence after Hurricane Mitch in Central America, the systems, the coffee-producing farms that adopted agroforestry systems were more resilient to change in the sense that after Hurricane Mitch came, they were able to start producing the year after, where the systems that were only coffee monoculture, it took between three and five years to recuperate their production. So in terms of coffee quality and productivity, uh, we have seen that when we have a coffee agroforestry system, um, we have the the size of the bean is more homogeneous and the ripening of the bean is more homogeneous. So we have a a more homogeneous high quality bean and we have a more homogeneous ripening of that bean. So by the time I get the laborers to pick up the coffee, most of it is ready. In the sun grade system, you have to go many times to go and get that really ripened berry. Uh, we have a lower use of external inputs. Most of these external inputs are based on petroleum. Petroleum is getting more expensive every day, so that's increasing our cost of production. So if we have an agro- agroforestry system that reduce the need for those external inputs, it will lower the cost of production for the farmer and will keep the industry viable. Agroforestry system also um, helps us with resilience. Maybe I'm gonna define a little bit of resilience here. Resilience is the capacity of a system to withstand a perturbation and not shift to a different state. So let's say we have a coffee production system. It's the capacity of that system to deal with climate change without the producer having to decide to grow something else. Um, So coffee agroforestry system really helps us in that. It helps us, like I said, in the microclimate control and different variables within the the production system. But diversification plays a big role here, economic diversification. So that producer not only relies on the coffee, but he relies on many other products that he has within the systems. and makes him more socially resilient. And also we have the yields. So yeah, we have lower yields in agroforestry systems when we're thinking of short term. But when we think in the long term, our yields are higher when we compare those two systems, and they are more homogenic. Um, in Sun grown Coffee, we have this problem where we have a really good year, and then the next year is not so good because the plants are depleted, and then they have to get more energy, and then the third year they come back. But in the agroforestry production system, we have a more homogeneous production throughout the life of the plantation, and we can extend the life of those, of those trees. This is my game, my last slide and let's talk a little bit about the challenges to adopt this um, agroforestry systems. Um, most of the challenges come from the tree part, the management of those trees. Uh, first, let's think about species selection. So it's not a general species that we're gonna use across all agroforestry systems. Species selection is based on, on, on the environment that you are on the region that you are and we have to choose species that are adapted for that region not only adapted for the ecological conditions of the region, but also adapted to the local people. People know the species, people have a use for them, um, they know how to manage them. So, so we have, it's, it's critical that we select the right species or the right suite of species for that particular agroforestry system. Once we have selected the species, then we need to do the production of the trees. So we need to have a little bit of, of knowledge of how we harvest the seed, how we germinate the seeds, we need to guarantee that we have a high-quality seedling for before we go and plant it in the agroforestry systems. We're thinking of a healthy root system, a healthy canopy system that will survive the, the transplant stress and that will create a healthy tree in the long term. If we don't look into these particular sections, and I've seen many examples of this, we go and we plant low-quality seedlings in Six, seven years later, all my trees die, and I have to go back and plant them when I was expecting them to live for 50 years. So that increases a lot of the cost of establishment. And then well, we already produce the trees, we need to go and plant them, and we need to plant them in the proper way. The depth of the planting, the the size of the hole, the amendments that you might do to the soil at the moment of the planting. So those are critical to establish an agroforestry system. Then once we have the system established, we need to know about pruning, proper pruning techniques, um, proper pruning tools. So so this is the key to mean the the system effective. We need to manage, we call them in agroforestry, uh, service trees. So so those trees are there, they're providing me a service. And I, as a producer, have to manage those trees. We need to manage the shade in our coffee plantation, so we need to prune regularly. (coughs) So another of the challenges is the cost of production. All of these things that I mentioned have a cost and this cost, it's the producer has to assume the cost. And it, for some producers, it's feasible, for some producers, it's not. Um, the access to credit, is there credits for those producers? Do the, do the lending agencies recognize the value of agroforestry systems and are able to give you a loan in the long term that you're gonna repay with the products that you get from that agroforestry systems? and incentives are we going to incentivize this um, incorporation of agroforestry systems in some way and incentives can be in different ways it can be cash it can be providing you the trees the tools providing you technical assistance so we can think in an array of incentives
0: thank you andre uh, for the definition of- Okay, so that was just the, the start of the conversation. I, I want to get this uh, engaged a little bit to, to leave a lot of time for questions, but also dialogue between the panel lists. Um, the concern that a lot of people have are this the, the debate between technification and traditional farming. There, it's, it's a long-term debate. I think it uh, mostly started probably, what, Rachel Carlson in the 1970s with the Green Revolution I am. I support technology, and I also support um, the use of technology in agriculture. Um, I also support organic. Whatever. That's my my take. My personal beliefs. But um, th- they all play a role in in the decision make- making that happens at the farm level. Of like, which way do you want to take your farm, and, and are you looking at the short term or long term gains? So. Um, Throughout my travels, I've met some people. I've actually talked to some people over the phone who I've tried to meet for years, Mauricio, from Honduras. And uh, if you'd like to come up here and talk, or you can sit there and we can discuss, it's up to you. Um,
2: thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you, John. Good morning, everybody. Uh, let me begin by talking a little bit of anecdotal experience, uh, referring back to what I call the 2012 Coffee leaf rust crisis, which we're all familiar with right now. Uh, In our case, as a producer, the 2012 crisis is a watershed moment. Uh, I had just received the uh, plantation from my father, he just retired. And one of the first things that I decided to do was to replant because we had old coffee trees. And we were planning, but we knew worked best in our case, and most of those varieties are, were not coffee rust resistant. So we got smacked right in the head. And uh, at the beginning, we thought that this was just a, a disease problem that we had dealt with before. I don't know if you're aware, but there was a coffee leaf rust uh, crisis at least in a part of the world, back in the mid-70s, 76, 77. And, you know, applied the proper chemicals, agrochemicals, and by 1982, the whole thing was dealt with. No problem. So we thought we were going to be dealing with a similar situation. And lo and behold, here we are, five years later, still dealing with the problem. And so when we started looking at it, and began learning this thing, we realized that it was much more than just a disease or a spore, and that it also had to do with other conditions that we, through time, had created in our farm, in our systems. And I think one of the main contributors to the... How intensive this attack was you know in in, in, in two thousand and twelve was because um, plants were not did not get the proper nutrition, and the reason they were not getting the proper nutrition was because soil conditions had deteriorated to a level that even if you put a lot of chemicals and fertilizers the plant wouldn't absorb it because the conditions were not there so i wanted to bring this you know on top of here because it it may not sound like it it has anything to do with agroforestry systems but in the end when you start looking and you listen to what andres said and i could relate to a lot of what he was saying what we are doing and trying to incorporate right now so it really does have a lot to do. So trade-offs and marketplace. We're going to talk about some of the challenges that we're facing today, even in the face of climate change, you know, and all these problems induced by climate change. And one of the first, in our case you know, in, in Honduras, one of the first challenges that we're facing is labor. Why labor? Because Honduras has been growing in production in the past uh, 10 years. Uh, probably this year we're going to be producing something in the neighborhood of 10,000,000 uh, pound bags of parchment coffee uh, compared to about uh, 3,000,000 10 years ago. So that gives you the dimension you know, of, of uh, production growth. And at the same time, uh, labor in some of the main producing areas is becoming more scarce a lot of that having to do with emigration to the north we say upstairs and they're going upstairs you know going up to the states so more production less labor and that and not only for harvesting, because harvesting is where the most labor is needed, but also during the whole production cycle with the upkeep of the farm. You know, the weeding, you can do a lot of weeding manually. So a lot of people then resort to um, uh, herbicides, glyphosate being the main you know, uh, input there. But wait a minute, we were just talking about soil conditions being one of the main factors of the Coffee leaf rust attack and resilience to it, lack of resilience to it. Well, some of these herbicides kill all the bacteria out on the the soil. So, how do you manage that? You need to make money. You have less labor. Whatever labor you have is becoming more expensive. And at the same time, you're trying to improve yields, which is the other main factor there. You want to improve yields? Okay, you use a lot of chemicals in extensively, say you have the proper conditions, you're doing it right, you do your soil analysis every year, or every two years, or every three years, what have you, okay, and you're working fine. But you do it year after year after year. Even if you have a biennial cycle, you know, which we're all familiar with, you know, coffee doesn't produce the same amount, of, a coffee tree will not yield the same amount of coffee every year. You know, up and down, up and down. Brazil is going to be having a down year, uh, 2017, for information on it. Okay. Hopefully. And so... <laughs> sorry. Uh, so in the face of that, okay, you have this pressure because you have... If you're a farmer and if you keep, you know, finances and you want to make the right investment decisions... You gotta make money on it. You gotta get a return. Otherwise, go and put. You gotta put your money on 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 the uh, on the uh, on the bank. Make more money. So how you go about that? Because you have that pressure, and yet you're depleting the uh, soil resources and the other resources. And you know, probably you have a sun-grown coffee because you're gonna be producing more. And then the land tenure issue. The, you have to document, especially in countries like Honduras, where is where. Not until about three, four years ago, we didn't have a, a, a government body that would help legalize all the land tenures and people would need, uh, sometimes you just have a letter or you know a piece of paper, you know, not even signed by a notary or a lawyer, whoever. So it really helps a lot. And then it, it really uh, affects a lot, you know, the way people are gonna treat the farms because they don't have uh, security. They're not, not sure what they're owning. And then the access to markets. You produce good coffee, you spend a lot of money on it, and the only person who's going to buy the coffee from you is the intermediary or coyote, as we call it. And they make the most out of it. You don't have a good chance to put your coffee in the market, and so you don't get a good return. Technify short-term investment. I think uh, Andre kind of put it into... Uh, focus quite clearly, a lot of inputs, a lot of pressure on the soil, uh, a lot of investment, a lot of returns, short term, five years, you know, after that. But what happens to the soil? What happens to the the whole environment? You know, you don't have uh, shade trees. You don't have shade trees. You don't have uh, leaves falling. You don't have leaves falling. You don't have organic matter being reincorporated into the soil, which is where the life of the soil is. So, this is why it's so critical to have a very well balanced, functioning agroforestry system. Otherwise, you know, you just kind of keep kicking into the air you know, in, the long, in the long run. Versus technified long term resorts. One of the key conclusions that I have come to in the past 24 months, after going through all this rust crisis is, what am I buying for? What are the key elements that I'm really buying for as a producer in the long term? You know what it is for me? Long-term soil viability. Long-term soil viability. But if I keep pressuring the soil you know, with higher yields and and demanding a lot from the soil, I'm not going to achieve it. So I have to make a trade-off as a producer. I have to make that decision. Because otherwise, I'm going to have to be replanting uh, probably every 10 years. And replanting, remember, it takes three years to start getting the first commercial uh, harvest from a tree. So it's not going to be done that easily. And then it, it costs a lot of money just to replant, and then, so you have to do a lot of investment. So, otherwise what you wanna do is, probably your trees live for about 20 years, and after that they start to decline, and then, okay, you replant and go on. Obviously, you're always facing prices. A week ago, you know, we were facing good prices, 140, 45, we were happy, okay, we're up in the uptrend now, Look at what's going on in the coffee-sea contract today, this morning, 132. Whoop. volatility. It's not good for the farmer, obviously. And then we were talking, I don't think I need to repeat the last one, negative impact on soil, water, biodiversity. Uh, we already talked about that. But you want to have long-term investment, increased time, labor. You don't, use, you don't want to use... Uh, Herbicides. You have to use labor. Okay, It's going to cost you more if you can find it. We are already competing among farmers, among producers, for, for scarce labor in our community. How far will that go? I don't know. Probably, you know, not that I want to advocate President Trump's policies, but probably some sending some of our migrants back to Honduras might help. Sorry, you know, I don't want to pitch for anybody here? Uh, <laughs> lower capital investment. Obviously, you are not investing that much money on inputs, especially in even on some other practices. You may require the. You may be required to invest some money on soil protection and soil structures, because soil structures are very key, and they go along. You know, you have good soil structures and good agroforestry systems integrated, then you have better um, organic matter integration into the soil. And then the diversified income, uh, going back to Andres' presentation. And I was looking at, you know, what he was showing. and For example, my case is commercial polyculture. We have coffee, we have the shade trees, inga, probably, you know, the inga uh, species. Mostly that's for firewood, okay? And, for example, in our case, in the last three, four years, um, the firewood that we have gotten, we have sold the firewood out of the uh, pruning. And with that, we have paid for the pruning. At least we save that part of the, of, of, of the activities, you know, making some money off of it. Um, and then you get into the hardwood. Like cedar, in our case, we do plant a lot of cedar, but there is also another one. Uh, we have been planting uh, Cypress as a barrier, wind barriers and protection barriers and Cypress is pretty good, you know cools off the environment and uh, gives you some lumber, so you have good sources of income there and the results i don 't think I need to talk too much about that. I think we've already spoken also. Healthy soil, water, biodiversity. Uh, Water contamination is becoming a very serious issue because of all the agrochemicals are being uh, used today. Uh, Income from you know diversified income, uh, buffer from climate events, especially in our case, wind and rain, uh, and some of the soil erosion. Also, that we've been protected. We don't deal too much with food security because we're not producing much food at our farm, so we don't deal with that. So I'll leave you with those considerations, I think, uh, in the long term. Uh, we're gonna to have to be working more and more you know, in this uh, incorporated. And one final consideration is, we talk a lot about education and educating the consumer, and that's fine, a lot has been done with the consumers here. But how about the producer? A lot has to be invested with the producer, especially in countries like Honduras, where the rate of illiteracy is still relatively high among coffee producers. And you have to teach them and show them, you know, the advantages and benefits of systems like this. Thank you very much.
3: Good morning. Um, So, I'm the exception to the rule. Aside from the very obvious fact that I am the only female in the panel, I do come from a lot of (laughs) exceptions. Um, So I am. Fortunately, very lucky to be the daughter of a man that has been farming for 18 years, and I've been working with him for seven. So when I think if I am a second-generation coffee grower or first-generation, I see my father like we're partners, and I will consider myself, with all the respect to my father, to be a first-generation coffee grower with him. With that said, it means that as first-generation coffee growers, we're constantly learning He did a little bit of the research before me. So when when he started to get into coffee, my father, the five-time compliant with five international organic rules, plus Rainforest Alliance certified, plus bird-friendly certified, plus previously um, UTC certified, comes from a coal mining background. So you can imagine that that was quite the contrast as well. However. When he did decide to get into coffee, he knew for sure that he wanted to do coffee, that he wanted to do shade, that he wanted to do organic, and that he wanted to do agroforestry. I still don't know how he knew this. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he had very good company. Some of the people here are proof of that, and I'm lucky to have them here. Um, But he knew, he knew 18 years ago that this was the way to go. However, We are also the exception to the rule in the fact that shade and agroforestry and bird-friendly and rainforest and everything is a very successful project for us. So I could stand here and say, yes, we should all do agroforestry. It is extremely beneficial. Certifications have profiled the way that producers could grow coffee in a very successful way, and it works for us. And there's uh, several people that could prove that right, right here. However, I do believe that as a, general, as a general concept with other coffee producers here, the idea for certifications in the frameworks of sustainability has to change a little bit. And I am very excited to be here because with Dr. Andre, one of the things that, that we believe and that we have been learning is, are really agroforestry and shade synonyms? Like, when we talk about agroforestry, is this immediately shade? Does my coffee have to lie completely under three layers of shade so that it is considered successful agroforestry? Does organic have to be lower yields so that it is considered organic? Does organic have to look like defective beans for them to actually be organic? And uh, when we really are successful in doing coffee successfully and also be organic, is it then not organic? So uh, there's, there's some of the things that we have experienced and as the exception to the rule, we are very happy to prove that it is not always like that. And uh, one of the points that is critical is when we talk about shade and when we talk about agroforestry and when we confuse talking about wild coffee growing, so what is the real difference between me, as Dr. Andre said, coming into a forest and deciding to maybe cut off some trees, make some space, plant out some trees, and get coffee, and me being in Ethiopia, walking through Yirga Shefe and finding trees that have coffee that I can pick, that I can then sell. So are they the same? Are they comparable? When when we are talking about organic coffee coming from Sierra Nevada in Colombia, is it the same from that coffee that we're going to find in the Yirgachefe and Sidamo areas in Ethiopia? Should they be comparable? Should that certification process actually require the same standards from the both of us? And I'm not sure. So so I don't have any answers. I'm sorry. Dr. Andre is uh, responsible for answering all the hard questions. Um, (laughs) And... uh, so, so we are really, we are happy with the certifications, but we are here and uh, I'll give more space so that we can continue. But we are here so that we can actually talk if the standard is actually beneficial for coffee growers. Is the standard really to directly have shade on top of the trees? Is that the only way for agroforestry? And uh, our producers that are entering into certification and sustainability, if they are synonymous, um, do we know that? Do we know that the only way for agroforestry is shade on top of the trees? And how is the entire industry working so that we do have agroforestry without sacrificing productivity levels and without sacrificing profitability levels for the producer as well? So as the exception to the rule, yes, definitely. We can do agroforestry. We can be successful. We can be here lecturing. But as a general, general side for coffee growers... Is the current standard that we have the proper standard? Is it fair? Is it realistic? Is it also adapting to our mitigation issues? Or are we still certifying under 20 years ago experience and under thirty 30 year ago requirements and issues in the environment? So as an experience, yes, that that's that's what we have been thinking and that's what we have been doing in, in, in investments. Um, what we do is we try to consider what is uh, best for the land size, what is best for our workers, but especially what is best for our neighbors. So we are one farm in the entire Sierra Nevada, in the entire Colombia, and the entire Latin America. So what is it that we are doing that could impact us positively and maybe our neighbors negatively? Can our neighbors keep up with what we're doing? Can we share what we're doing Is it more beneficial for us to maybe pay four times more to our pickers that they prefer us and then our neighbors have no way to compete? So in the incentives that we're working, it's also a community-based investment in the sense that we are not alone here. So yes, I come from one farm, but I come also from a community and also all of these intentions for sustainability. How are we working as a community to also improve it? So um, I'm looking forward to the questions. As I said, just Dr. Andre will answer the questions for me. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Thanks. I, I just wanted to say thank you very much for coming. I, I had the chance to visit you at, uh, at her farm, and it is a, a fantastic experience. I think we're going to talk about chainsaws later. But uh, <laughs> right now I'd like to introduce uh, my coworker uh, Ryan Hatt. And we're going to address these complications and uh, possible solutions that we can look into um, in regards to that. So, yeah, Ryan. Thanks.
4: Well, I'm going to sit down. I ran the Java jog this morning uh, and, and then jogged over here to get here on time. So uh, I'm, a little, uh, I'm a little worn out. So uh, I'll just stay here. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Ryan Hatt. And, and I work for the Arbor Day Foundation. Uh, we are a non tree planting organization. Uh, just out of curiosity, any members in the room, people who have been Arbor Day members in the past? couple members, great. So um, our mission is we inspire others to plant, nurture, and celebrate trees. Uh, simple mission, we have many different programs that speaks to that mission that we have. Um, and we have a million members across the country and uh, in, in the United States that currently Uh, actively support our many different efforts and our many different programs that helps us to achieve that mission. So we took a look at ourselves as an organization. We said, where do we see ourselves going in the next 15, 20, 30 years from now? And we really wanted to be a leader in the world to create that worldwide recognition that trees are an answer to many of the global issues that are out there today. Now not the only answer, there are many other things that we need to do, but trees can play a vital role in things such as as poverty, hunger, air and water pollution, climate change, deforestation. So really making sure that our programs that we have going forward will focus on how it is solving those global issues um, going forward. Now, the reason why we're here at uh, SCA, and I've actually been a member for the past four years, I've been to the last five Expos, um, is that we have a coffee program ourselves. Uh, started off realizing that um, there was a lot of deforestation going on in the coffee industry, and by supporting coffee growers that were using agroforestry practices, we could help spread that message to here in the United States um, and educate people on the importance of agroforestry practices, shade-grown coffee, and so forth. Um, so we have a, a program where, where we do source a lot of our own coffee. We package our own coffee, Arbor Day coffee, and then uh, sell that as a way to generate revenue for our programs and projects that we do on the farms. So... Um, Many of you may have seen this uh, white paper that came out from SCA, A Blueprint for Coffee um, in a Changing Climate. And a great paper. If you haven't read it, I definitely recommend that you check it out. Uh, But there were a couple of recommendations that they had in there um, where it was really eye-opening for us for ways that we could collaborate even more within the industry. A uh, recommendation one, support the development and uptake of climate-smart agricultural practices. Now, climate-smart practice, kind of a new buzzword that's around, but really helping farmers and, and educating them on practices they can do where they may not see the initial benefit, the primary benefit on their farm. It may benefit someone else you know, down the mountain, someone else in their community. It may benefit the world globally and in. And, uh, in an impact such as that. Um, so really finding what are those practices that farmers can do, and even if it isn't a direct benefit on their farm, but it is benefit benefiting people downstream, down the mountain, um, soil uh, um, uh, preservation and so on, helping them to identify those. And then recommendation, uh, another one they had there was offset carbon emissions by purchasing carbon credits. Um, So another way that if you don't have the means of, um, you know, planting trees or doing sustainable practices like that within your businesses here in the United States by offsetting your carbon, that is one thing that you can do to reduce or even negate your carbon footprint in the world and use that as a differentiator for whatever your business may be. So just a quick demonstration of where that carbon footprint does lie within the whole supply chain. Um, I won't get too much into the details there, and it's it's a little little blurry there, but all the way on the left on that red bar is the farm level, and so that is the carbon that is off-put at the farm level. Um, Most of that is coming from the inputs that the farmers put into the ground, and so we see a lot of the carbon footprint through the supply chain starting off at the farm level there. And then going through the rest of the supply chain, you can see that that yellow bar is the consumption. So that is the brewing. That is the roasting. That is the you know serving it to the consumers, the waste that we may see in some of the retail shops. And you can see that that even is the highest part of the supply chain that is putting off the carbon. Uh, so those are the two points where we can really address um, Address the carbon and see how can we mitigate that carbon that's being output. And so, a program that we have and, and that we're launching here, actually this year at SCA, is Project Twenty Fifty. So, Project Twenty Fifty goes to the statistic that John had spoke about earlier, uh, saying that by the year twenty fifty due to climate change, half of the farms that currently process coffee are no longer going to be able to do so. And so we looked at the programs that we had in place, some of the reforestation practices that we had on our farms, and said, this is something that speaks directly to that mission. So this is our project uh, through 2050 and hopefully even beyond, um, but a catchy title. So... um, the ways, that, uh, the ways that this program works is we really want to include everyone in the supply chain. So producers, importers, roasters, retailers. At the farm level, we have projects on the ground where we're helping farmers to identify the correct agroforestry practices. What are the best practices? Not every farm is the same, so we need to help identify what are the proper trees to plant, what are the proper pruning methods, how can we use a complete agroforestry system on the farm to help them grow coffee cultivate coffee on their farm for years to come and then through that through the supply chain with importers exporters even roasters um, this is a way to differentiate their product um, they can you know part of the, the proceeds to the program would go toward the reforestation efforts in country but they can also make their coffee carbon neutral offset the carbon from seed to cup and um, if they want to be, you know, make even more of a difference, you can go carbon negative. Do twice as much carbon for what you yourself are outputting so that you're making up for others in the industry that may not be as aggressive as you are. Um, so um, mainly working with reforestation efforts, carbon offsets, and really trying to connect um, everyone within the industry um, and shine a spotlight, recognize those farmers that are practicing um, these agroforestry techniques, and, um, and uh, try and reward them for their efforts.
0: Uh, thank you, Ryan. That is pretty much the, uh, the presentation uh, slideshow part of the uh, of lecture series. We have 15 minutes. Like, I actually got that timed somehow. We have 15 minutes to uh, take questions and kind of discuss the complexities of uh, climate change, which are well beyond this lecture time. But um, so I'd like to open up the floor. If there's any questions that you have, please, uh, we love debate, and I would love to hear some tough questions. Um. Quick question. Has has anyone actually defined what the minimum size is of a forest in order to maintain a viable microclimate in terms of moisture and maintaining with deforestation going on around our rainforest plots, you know, how big do we have to keep
1: them and what do we have to do to maintain their size? So it depends on uh, which variable of the microclimate you're talking about. Um, When we talk about humidity, percentage of humidity in the air, well, you need a a forest that... Can you hear me now? Okay. When you're talking about humidity, we need a forest that is at least one hectare is what... um, Research has shown, you know, that, that tree that's in the middle, that section that's in the middle of the one hectare really has a contribution to humidity. But when we look to temperature, we need smaller sizes. and we would, So each, each variable will have a particular size of forest that you need. Um, the recommendation is have as much as you can. You know, if, if you can have your whole farm and agroforestry system, that will be benefit a lot more than just having a section of it. Um, there's things like edge effect. We call that is is the how far from the edge of the agroforestry system we we see those variables changing. But but it depends on each variable.
0: Hi, my question is related to um, agrochemicals. I, I lead a chemical company that's developing alternatives for growers to combat coffee leaf rust and coffee berry borer. And I'm just wondering. And you talked about glyphosate and other chemicals. Uh, I'm wondering how growers think about the chemical aspect? Are we exploring things like biopesticides or other soil-friendly type uh, materials? Thank you for your comments on that.
2: Um, Remember, farmers tend to be very practical. Whatever works, stick to it. Changes are hard to come by. if you want to introduce something new, prove it to them. There is always the possibility. You know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the possibilities are open, okay? But you really have to prove it to them. And uh, that's what I would say. You know, and usually it takes, if you, you have a group of ten farmers, probably one or two will only try at the beginning. And everybody will be looking up to them, and see how it went. It went well. Everybody will follow. It didn't go well. Forget it.
3: On on that note, I also wanna wanna say that change is hard. But because we have different perspectives on time, so from a non-producer side, the length of time may be different from the producer side. So when the producer decides to become a coffee grower, he's planting one seed that is going to last him for 20 years, and that is one cycle of that lot. So also when we are talking about facing, facing changes, it's uh, putting that into perspective that the farmer thinks that short term is 10 years. So how, how do you manage the, the risk, especially in, in the trade-offs, for risking uh, to change? In 10 years.
5: Gonzalo Castillo, Nicaragua. Este, nosotros tenemos un proyecto que hemos iniciado con forestales, café, con captura de carbono. No, no sé si ustedes tienen una experiencia. Porque se, sí, sí, sí. ¿cuál es, cuál es la, lo que siempre nos contraponen cuando decís que se embarca café bajo sombra es que la productividad se va a bajar. Pero la binabilidad, binabilidad de café también se, 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 se pone más lineal que cuando cultivo solo café al, al, al sol. Pero entonces este proyecto viene a, a, a ayudar a, ese, a esa baja productividad cuando nosotros sembramos eh, plantas para vender carbono. Entonces iniciamos las la, la renovaciones con plantas para, con un programa, con una compañía canadiense que le vendemos eh, captura de carbono ahora como un, un aporte creo que la naturaleza no, no necesita de nosotros, nosotros necesitamos de ella y tampoco necesitamos dejarle a nuestros hijos una naturaleza bonita sino dejarle a la naturaleza hijos que la amen porque estamos destruyendo nuestras tierras, nuestro suelo estamos contaminando por hacer dinero no estamos pensando en nuestras generaciones venideras. Yo, café bajo sombra, siempre el 35%. Yo gané segundo lugar tasa de la excelencia, bajo sombra. Un café excelente. Gracias.
2: More than a question, I think it's a very good comment. Um, one thing that uh, we have learned through time is probably. If, if you have good uh, agronomical practices with a good shading, pr- shading practice also, uh, in, in, in the first years probably yields may not be as great as you would expect them. But as the uh, tree, the canopy grows and you have more light, more sunlight coming in, more erosion. That's something that a lot of people don't consider, you know, because the higher up the, the, the canopy, the more air you have circulating, the, the better uh, oxygen uptake for the uh, and, and nitrogen uptake for the trees. So as that grows, then you improve your uh, yields. That's something that we've learned through time. And if, if you're doing the recycling part, like you replant after 20 years, you don't have to worry about shade in the long term. And we don't have, you know, we, we don't produce for quality because of the altitude conditions. We stay in low 80s, mid 80s. But we've kept up with our quality at that level, just, you know, even with the good shading practices.
5: Thank you.
6: Thank you all for this great panel. So my name is Erica. I work at Northeastern University where, among other things, I run a program on security and resilience. So I would love to hear um, from all of you and your different perspectives on what your thoughts are on the impact of government with resilience as it connects to climate change.
0: Um, Policy is everything when it comes (laughs) down to it. Every conversation that I have, it always ends in, policy, so it means everything, Um, yeah, so I don't know what else, anybody else want to add to that?
1: (laughs) I think there has been uh, a lack of information, like governments are not planning and not preparing for resilience because they don't understand the concept, a lot of the resilience is being managed by NGOs, (laughs) universities, but we're not being effective in translating into the government and in translating into public policy. Uh, I think a big problem with it is, is the economic system we have and who are the decision makers at that level. And we see that a lot of the governments respond to economic factors more than to resilience and food security and sustainability and all those buzz um, terms.
0: Um, I could add to that that uh, it just so happens to be that tomorrow is uh, Earth Day. And also, there is a March for Science. If you're interested in, um, in those kind of activities, and then next Friday, April 29th, I hope that's right because I work at Arbor Day, is the uh, National Arbor Day uh, celebration. So, feel free to plant a tree, and we would love that. Um, and, <laughs> well, comment? and I was
4: going to add to that just a little bit too, um, that where in, in countries where government policy does lack, um, I think that's an open door for where nonprofits um, such as Arbor Day Foundation, um, you know, can come in and <laughs> they can't hear me, okay. where where nonprofits can come in and play a role and help those, those farmers with, um, you know, some of those techniques, some of those practices, offsetting some of the costs or giving them, uh, you know, an additional um, income. Um, that, uh, that the farmers can use. So that's, that's one role
0: that nonprofits can play in that scenario as well. And I just want to add to that, I don't think that one nonprofit can do it alone. There is this word collaboration that we definitely need. So the Arbor Day Foundation is working with um, other organizations at origin of, of, of each country to work with those who are, are highly qualified to, um, mm-hmm. to work with those farmers in, in a very tailored manner.
6: Hello. First of all, thanks for the great panel. My name is Jetska. I'm from Uts UTset. Uh, so, I'm more than happy uh, to discuss anything with you. Um, we're over here with a bunch of colleagues as well. Uh, my question is because what you just talked about with coffee, I think it's something that you see worldwide, huh, With agriculture, with all type of agriculture, and that there are two poles. One is really like more in line with nature, and one is always been focused on the short-term, 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 short-term. So also in the Netherlands, you see like these big dairy companies that have a lot of cows, but uh, the, the farmers, they don't earn anything at all, like below minimum wage. But how do you get from one pole to the other? And how can you make sure that it's being paid for? How, what is actually the price of healthy soil? What's the price of unhealthy soil? And how can you achieve that? And what would happen in the, between, in the in-between phase? Because if you're not in line with nature yet, how is a farmer able to make money?
0: That, that's a great question. I, I sat down uh, for breakfast the other day with an agricultural economist, uh, economist from Nicaragua who blew my mind on, on <laughs> every day I... I, I I learn more and more and, and, and see how complicated this can become, but again, I, I I bring it back to policy, but also what you're doing right now is the answer. It's, it's education, it's uh, research, it's, it's science, and that's sharing that information. We're in a great time where we have access to uh, Google Scholar, not just Google, but we can look at research papers that we have I'm in graduate school right now and it's easy compared to my father when he's like, I had to use a typewriter. (laughs) And, you know, so we have access to so much information and to so much resource and scientific um, empirical evidence, and we have wonderful panelists like this that can help us become more educated so we can share that with our policymakers that maybe we can convince them to, you know, read a book. And for example, this book is really nice. I'm going to shamelessly promote this. I have nothing to do with it, but I have read some of it, and it just came out. And you can get it at the uh, the bookstore. It's called *The Craft and Science of Coffee*. But I will tie in, you know, my profession with planting trees on page 100. It's really easy to remember. Just look at page 100. For example, if you read a book and uh, share this with your policymaker, that everybody loves trees. By the way. Republicans and Democrats, I'm sure Trump does too. <laughs> Maybe, I'm pretty sure. But scientists and farmers agree that planting native trees in coffee farms is one of the most important actions that cof- uh, that farmers can take to build resilience to climate change. I mean, that's I mean, make it sound simple and they back it up with a lot of evidence and it's really hard to read, a lot of good statistics, but anyway, you should check it out. I, does that answer your question, or slightly? or did Yeah, I, but did I'm I...
6: just wondering what happens to those farmers that always focus on the short term that are really willing to change. How can they achieve that? Because they don't have the money. And it will take some time as well before the change is visible. My group. I think nothing, nothing affects
2: change more than traumatic experiences, And uh, transitions are traumatic. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is no easy solution or answer to your question. The only probably answer that I could come up with is if uh, you came up with some sort of subsidy, Mm -hmm. proven that you are doing this and that and that. Other than that, bite the bullet.
3: Mm-hmm. I, I think that there's also a point where, as producers, we have to also engage in, in new challenges like diversification. And um, there's a group of small producers that also need... Uh, we, we need to work with smaller producers to change the mindset from them producing for consumption of their own to them producing for selling a product as a business in order to actually achieve some kind of profitability. So um, I, I, I believe that it's a matter also of a little bit of education. Um, I believe 100% in diversification. I believe that diversification is uh, one, of the, one of the big aids for coffee. So if we actually get income from other sources from a shorter term, we can actually promote the long-term in coffee that's required. Um, but basically, yes, uh, as communities, as, as coffee producers and communities, we need to help those neighbors that are still maybe 100 years ago where their production was enough for their own consumption and for their livelihood, and it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I agree with Mauricio. I think that it's, it's a big challenge, um, and probably education is one of those foundations.
4: And just a quick add to that, too, from the nonprofit point of view, uh, there, you know, we have found that there needs to be some kind of incentive for the farmer in order to do that, and that's what we try to provide to them. And so we even have a project in Peru right now uh, that is helping smallholder farmers that have two to three hectares um, to identify which types of trees to plant. We have demonstration plots set up in their communities to help educate them on proper agroforestry practices and farming practices. And so we help with a lot of that upfront cost, investment, and education. Uh, but in the in the in, in return for that um, we we give them a premium for taking those measures and implying those on their farms as well and we have some farmers that um, you know, we, I ask them why do they plant trees, and they say, well, it's good for the environment, and it's good for the earth, and, and it diversifies my farm. And then other uh, producers will say, well, they were going to give me higher money for it, so I planted trees. And both answers are great.
0: That's what we want to see. They both got to the solution that we wanted. And it, it can get more complicated than that. We we have one we'd love to take more questions we're out of time but we, we one more question and then we can go
1: my yeah. question is actually pretty specific for Ilana. as an organic producer are you able to produce enough compost on
0: farm to feed your plants that could be a yes or no question we don't have much time <laughs> uh
3: currently currently we do but it's been the result of 18 years of work so so constantly and every day as as we still keep learning and um, also from our, our, our commercial side, so our sales side, we have long-term partnerships. So that is also an advantage because when you're working long-term, the risk is shared. Even if there's no subsidy or if there's no economic uh, like cash immediately, the long-term relationship does help to mediate that risk-taking. So it has allowed for us to actually be able to support uh, part of our process with our own composting.
0: If you have more questions or if you'd like to talk with us further, tonight we are having a cocktail party, and the password is Inga, and uh, you can uh, pick up a brochure in the back. It's at uh, The Needle and Thread at Tavern Law, and we would love to carry this conversation further with you. So thank you very much for coming today. Have a good day. You've been listening to a talk from the SCA Lectures Podcast Series. To hear more on topics relevant to the specialty coffee industry, visit www.scanews.coffee and subscribe to this lecture series. Thanks
5: for listening.